he blesses the child. Well, let's look at what's said in verse 29. Let's look at this. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. In other words, this thing that I've hoped for and longed for for so long, I'm now holding the comfort of Israel in my two hands. This thing that I've longed for, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. As Simeon looked at that child, he saw more than just a baby. He saw the salvation of Israel in his hands. Your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. In other words, this wasn't done behind closed doors somewhere. This is not some secret that's yet to be revealed. If you'll remember, as Jesus was born, it was there in Bethlehem and and that shepherds we're out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. You've heard all this. The angels showed up. They announced this declaration. The shepherds went in. They saw the baby Jesus. They were absolutely flabbergasted. They came out rejoicing and telling everybody. They were the first evangelists of Jesus. They came out telling everybody about it. This was not, this is not something that's concealed. This is a Jesus who's going to be public. He was that, and it says in verse 32, a light for revelation to Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. You see, it was to Jesus that all the prophets... As you go back and you come to understand who Jesus is, and then you go back and you read the Old Testament prophets, you see how they pointed forward to a time when the warfare would be ended, to the time when a prince of peace would come, and they pointed forward to someone like Jesus... And you've got to remember, Simeon didn't have the New Testament. It hadn't been written yet. All he had was the Old Testament. But he knew from reading the pages of the Old Testament that they pointed forward to one who would come, who would be a deliverer, who would be a savior, who would bring a peace that was beyond all recognition. Now, how did Simeon recognize Jesus? I mean... If you look at paintings, and I love going to museums, some of those beautiful paintings in the world were done with Christian themes, and some of those around the nativity scene, some of those around the the baby and the infant Jesus, beautiful pictures, but whenever you see Jesus, they kind of identify him how? With a halo. He's got this glow about him. Now, I would think if you and I were there at the time, and we're looking for Jesus, we're not looking for someone who's glowing in the dark. That's not, that's not how he recognized Jesus. How he recognized Jesus, honestly, is the same way that any of us ever come to recognize Jesus. And that is, it is a work of the Holy Spirit who enlivens us, who quickens us, who makes us aware, who makes us sensitive to who this Jesus is. Not just an ordinary baby. He may have felt like an ordinary baby. He may have cried like an ordinary baby, but this was no ordinary baby not because he was glowing in the dark, but because the Holy Spirit revealed that this, this is it. That thing that you've been longing for, that one that you've been hoping for all your life, here he is. He's coming in right now. He's just a few feet away and he's getting closer. Getting closer. And to be able to hold the hope of Israel in his hands. 
This is what Simeon says of Jesus in the text. It says, first of all, he will bring salvation. Some of you know what the name Jesus means. The Lord saves. The Lord saves. His very name indicated why he came. He came to bring salvation. We also read that he will be a light for revelation and understanding for the Gentiles. Jesus had certainly come to Israel, but he came with a salvation that would extend beyond the Jewish people into every tribe and every nation and every tongue. In fact, we see that fulfilled as we open the pages of Revelation and we get that picture around the throne where people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue are gathered around the throne singing praises, offering worship to the one who has saved them. Jesus, though he did not come specifically to go out into the world, his ministry was pretty tight geographically still. He came to be a light to the Gentiles. And honestly, do you realize that that is what Israel was supposed to have done? They were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. They were supposed to be drawing people to God, but they isolated themselves. They they locked themselves away. They separated themselves. Now, they were supposed to be a holy people. They were supposed to live different lives, but it wasn't all for them. They were to share it with other people, and Jesus came to be this light for revelation to the Gentiles. And it also says that he will be the glory of Israel. This word glory, it means to have weight, to have value, to have worth. Jesus was worthy to be praised. Why? Because he wasn't just a little baby. He was the very son of God. As I was reading back through this, my mind went back to Ezekiel chapter 10. In Ezekiel chapter 10, um, Ezekiel gets this image of the temple. And from the temple, he sees the glory of God rise up from the temple and depart from Israel. In other words, God was saying, you know, you have left me. And so my glory, this protection, this presence, this abiding is is leaving. It was no longer going to reside right there. And yet here the glory comes back. Because God's presence is, is there. Simeon was holding it. Now, parents, when you hold your baby, you hold hopes there. You hold ambition there. You you hold their dreams in your hand. But to think that you would hold one who would completely reshape the world and completely reshape eternities of people for generations to come. And then Simeon speaks a word of blessing over the family and a prophetic word to Mary. He says this, he he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul so that that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Um, Now Mary, remember, she had already had this encounter with an angel. She already knew who this Jesus was. She had already 
had the shepherds come and, and affirm that. And here she gets even more affirmation as to who Jesus is, that this was no ordinary baby. But Simeon didn't come up and say, hey, listen, let me tell you about your Jesus. Your Jesus is going to be a mighty political leader, and he's going to come in, and he's going to completely take over, and he's going to reshape the landscape, and people from all around are going to come to Jerusalem, and he's going to be sitting up on the throne, and they're going to be in lockstep. They're just going to fall in line with him. It didn't say, hey, listen, let me tell you about your Jesus. He's going to come with a sword. He's going to come as a conqueror, and he's going to defeat all the enemies, and there's going to be blood everywhere, but in the end, Israel is going to stand supreme among the nations. No, that's not what he says at all. This is what he says. He says, there will be a rising and a falling. What does this mean? Many who are prideful are going to fall, and many who are humble, the ordinary people, the poor, the widows, the orphans, those who are overlooked and those who are rejected. God's going to lift them up. He says, there's going to be a sign that is opposed. what, What is this sign he's talking about? Very likely he's talking about the cross. Remember, the cross was considered, anyone who hung upon a tree was declared as cursed. And it was Jesus who hung upon the tree. And so this, the cross, a symbol of rejection and condemnation, would become for us a symbol of acceptance and triumph. Jesus defeated sin on the cross. For us, it is a triumph. We celebrate the cross, not because it's a beautiful image, but because of what Jesus did for us there on the cross. He tells Mary and a sword He mentions this sword that's going to also pierce her soul. If you'll remember at Jesus' crucifixion, a sword was thrust through his side, proving his death. But hey, the good news is there was an empty tomb three days later that proved his life. Because of him, Simeon says, nothing's going to remain hidden. You read that, it may be a little disturbing to you. Because there are things that we like to hide. There are things that we like to, to lock away. We, we don't want other people to see it. We're, we're ashamed of it. It's, it's something in our lives that, that is, is awful. Maybe for you it is some sin that seems to constantly trip you up. Some addiction that you have. Something you try to hide. Nothing, listen, in the heart of man is going to remain hidden. Now, why is Jesus going to expose sin? Remember what we were told in John chapter 3, that Jesus came to, not to condemn the world, but to save us. So you would think, hey, if, if he drags my sin out in the open, that's, isn't that condemnation? No, listen. The way we come to faith in Jesus Christ is by coming to an understand through the, understand through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are sinners in desperate need of the grace of God. That we don't have all the answers, that we don't have it all put together, that we don't have it all figured out. We are sinners And sin is exposed, not in order to condemn us, but in order to give us hope. That there is 
forgiveness of sin, that there is salvation for us. And so when, listen, these few little words that Simeon speaks over Mary, these few little words, they point ahead. He too had an understanding, a, a sense of what God was going to do through this one because of what the Holy Spirit was doing in him. And I, I'm convinced of this, although it doesn't say it, but noticing that he was righteous and devout, he also understood it because he had read the scriptures. And he'd read enough to know that the one who was to come was to be a suffering servant. Simeon waited with hope to see God's promise, and he was overwhelmed to hold the fulfillment of that promise in his arms. And he basically said this, now I can die in peace. Now that God has fulfilled his promise to me, and I hold this consolation of Israel in my arms, now I can die But Simeon wasn't the only one. There was someone else there that they encountered, and her name was Anna. Now, here's what we read about Anna, and we won't put the scripture up, but let me just tell you a few things. Uh, It says that she was a prophetess. In other words, a prophet was someone who heard from God and communicated what they heard to other people. It wasn't necessarily someone who looked into the future like a fortune teller and said, hey, these are the things that are going to happen. The gift of prophecy is more forth-telling than foretelling. It is hearing from God and communicating that to the people. And so that was Anna. That's who she was. Very rare do they talk about a prophetess in Scripture. And so it's significant that she is here. We read some other things about her. Things that, that show us that Luke's trying to help us understand this is not some mythical story. This is not something he's making up. He says, listen, her daddy's name was Faneuil. And she came from the tribe of Asher. Now listen, he could really have doctored this up if he was trying to, you know, he would, he would, he would oh, she was, she was from the tribe of Judah. Oh, she was from the tribe of Levi. No, he picks Asher. There's nothing that significant about him. Look it up. She was just kind of an ordinary woman and she had a tough life. Now, for, for many women, they grow up now, they've got opportunities that, that, that women back then, they just didn't have. Then, hey, listen, you got married, you had kids, that was your life, that was all you had. In fact, many people consider women very, you know, just not much higher up on the list than property. And so here she is, so every woman's looking forward to marriage, looking forward to having kids. She gets married. We don't know what her age was, 16, 18, 20. We don't know. She gets married. She's married seven years. And then her husband dies. There's no mention of children, so we'll assume that she died died childless. And then she lived for 84 years. So she lived 50, 60 years. Single, widowed, no kids. Now, it doesn't say this, and... And honestly, I couldn't find it. Maybe I didn't look hard enough. But there's conjecture that there were probably women like Anna who were widows, who lived at, in the temple complex, and who devoted themselves to the Lord. Kind of what we think of as nuns. 
you know, they were, they were married to the Lord. They devoted themselves to the Lord. And it said that night and day, she never left the temple. Night and day, she prayed and she fasted. We also know of something else. She too shared the same hope that Simeon had. Now, as we read through this, her, her hope, of course, was for the redemption of Jerusalem. Redemption just the deliverance of Jerusalem. Now, here's, here's the distinction, I think. And again, I'm putting, let me go ahead and tell you, this is Jimmy Long interpretation. I'm not trying to add anything to Scripture. I just want to, as I read this and I, as I kind of stayed here, camped out here for a while, Simeon seems to me as a really good representative of the Old Testament. You had one who was looking forward, looking forward, looking forward, and when the fulfillment happened, he said, okay, now I can die. What, what I've looked forward to has come to pass, boom, I, I, I can die in peace. But not Anna. Because here's what we read of Anna. When she saw the deliverance of Jerusalem and the deliverer, when she saw him, she went and shared it with others who also went forward the very same thing. For me, Anna is representative of the New Testament. And that is our call to share the hope that we have within us. She didn't keep it to herself. She didn't say, okay, now I can die. And remember, she's 84 years old, which I, you know, again, I'm 55 now. My body doesn't function. My mind doesn't function quite like it used to. At 84, some of you are still spry. But some of you, you know, at 84, things don't work quite like they used to. She could have said, you know, okay, now I've seen the deliverance of Jerusalem. I can go over there with Simeon and we can just both die. No. She says, now that I've seen the deliverer, now that I have, my eyes have beheld the fulfillment of my hope, I got to find somebody to tell. I am so overflowing with joy. I am so overexcited with what God is doing. I've got to find somebody I can tell same thing happened with the shepherds when the shepherds went in they saw jesus they came out glorifying god and telling people about this savior that they had seen the hope that they shared was the same but it's interesting how they responded to it was a little bit different but they both looked forward to a god who would send a deliverer to save from oppression and sin and bring comfort and confidence to his people. Here's what I want you to understand with hope. This is really, really important. Because we use hope a lot. Uh, some of you, know, some of you you're, you're sitting down to watch a ball game. And somebody says, hey, do you think your team is going to win? I'm going to be generic here. We're not going to pick on Georgia Tech. Um, or North Carolina. Uh, my team. But you sit down and you go, okay, do you... Hey, what do you think of the game? Who do you think is going to win? Do you think your team can pull it out? Well, I hope so. That's the words we use. Well, I hope so. Can I tell you that is not biblical hope at all? So here's what I want you to know. Hope is not wishful thinking. Get this. Hope is not wishful 
thinking. What are you going to get for Christmas? Are you going to get the new Xbox? Well, I hope so. Are you going to get a new 70-inch TV? Well, I hope so. Are you going to get a new remote control flying thing? Like drone? Well, I hope so. You going to get a new car? Well, I hope so. You know, we, that's, hey, listen, I, I don't really know, but it's kind of a wish that I have that I might somehow get that. Sometimes we even, sometimes we even use that word when we know it's not going to happen. It's not wishful thinking, but instead hope is, here's a good layman's definition for you. Hope is a confident assurance that what was promised will come to pass. You need to understand, though, a promise is only as good as the person who makes the promise. Some of you know this from experience. You've had people promise stuff to you before, and you've been disappointed. Good thing you didn't put your hope in that. For them, fulfillment of a promise is wishful thinking. But who makes the promise here for Simeon? Who makes the promise here for Anna? It's God who makes the promise. And if God makes the promise, you can count on God to deliver. It's this kind of hope that we celebrate on this first Sunday of Advent when we light a candle representing hope. But I want to encourage you to do something beyond that. Something beyond coming and celebrating the hope you have. And that is to do exactly what Anna did. And that is find someone else who needs that hope and share that hope with them. Why? Because, listen, unlike a worldly kind of hope, a hope that the world offers, we have a hope that endures. We have a hope that cannot be frustrated and negated. We have a hope that is eternal As a matter of fact, this is what the Bible says about our hope. We have this hope as an anchor of the soul. We have a hope that is an anchor for our souls. We have a hope that is secured in heaven. We have a promise that God himself has made. And here's a promise. All who trust in the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's our promise. And there's our hope. And so what do we do with this? Let, let, me, let, me, let me land this plane. First of all, I want to ask you a question. And the question is this. Do you know this hope? Is this your hope? You, you, you don't, listen... You're not living off your parents' hope. You're not living off your family's hope. You're not living off your spouse's hope. Is this your hope? Is your hope anchored in him? Do you know beyond any doubt that you are, as we was written in Colossians, as you are in Christ, do you know that? Is that your hope? If not, then I want to plead with you with every fiber of my being. Do not leave this building today without being assured of hope in Jesus Christ. We have men and women who will stay here all afternoon if it takes in order to help you understand what it means 
to come to faith in Jesus Christ. The other question I want to ask you is this. Who do you know that needs this hope? And I want you to do something for me right now. You've got, you got sermon notes. And I want you to take in that one of those blank pages in your sermon notes. I want you to just write somewhere on there the name of a person who needs this hope. It may be a friend. It may be a co-worker. It may be someone who goes to school with you. It may be a neighbor. It may be a family member who needs this hope. And then commit yourself, pray about it, and be prepared to share the reason for the hope that you have within yourself. If you need this hope this morning, then I want to encourage you to come and receive it through faith in Jesus Christ. If you need a place of hope, a place that supports you and encourages you and challenges you and helps you to grow in your hope, then if, if God's leading you to grace fellowship, then you come. If you just need to come and pray for that person, for those people who you know this year are without hope, then I just want to say this, use this as a holy altar, a place to come and to pray and to intercede for that person. Would you join your hearts with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the hope that, that Simeon held in his hands, a hope that Anna saw with her own eyes, and a hope that many in this room have today. But Lord, I want to pray for those who do not have this hope. They're sitting right here, right now. Lord, they, they know about you, but they couldn't honestly say that they know you. They know about Jesus. They sing about Jesus. But Lord, the song is not in their heart. It's just on their lips. Lord, there are people right now who do not know that if everything came to an end this afternoon, that they would go to be with you. They may say, oh, I hope so. But for them, it's just wishful thinking, Lord. It's not a confident assurance. So Lord, I want to pray for those who are struggling today that they could know beyond any doubt that they are saved in Jesus Christ and have a hope that goes on forever. Lord, I pray for those that we all know who don't have the hope of heaven in their hearts, who don't have a relationship with with you, Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray, they pray, we intercede for those, Lord, who need that hope. Give us the boldness this season to share the hope that we have, to invite people to come home to Jesus and to come home to hope. Father, I pray for those out here among us whose hope has been rocked through circumstances of life, who simply need to come to you today And ask, Father, that you would work in them to give them a sense of confident assurance that they're yours and that can never change no matter what changes in life. Lord, you work in this time to draw people to yourself. Let your Holy Spirit be active in this place. For we ask for it in the powerful name of Jesus.
Amen.